Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Back from a week's hiatus, episode number 83 of the show before the show podcast from MILB.com. Hi, everybody. I am Tyler Mon, Sam Dykstra in New York City. It's uh, we're a couple of globetrotters back on back on this side. It's weird taking a week off. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, how was your trip? It was uh, good. Got, it was yeah, good. You got to watch some baseball. Yeah, got to see a bunch Mexico. of baseball. Did the Arizona Fall League thing first, and that was where our last episode was from a couple of weeks ago. And then got to go to got to go to Monterey and Saltillo, Mexico, for the uh, under twenty three baseball World Cup, which was really cool. Got to see some solid minor league talent there. There were some fun prospects to watch on on a bunch of those teams. There's no USA baseball team uh, in that in that tournament, but uh, still some really fun prospects from Panama, and Nicaragua, and Australia, and a bunch of a bunch of places that sent some really good talent. And you were over on uh, in the old world side and on, yeah. on the other side, right? Yeah, back in uh, walking the footsteps of my ancestors. Actually, I, I got to go to so I went to Amsterdam uh, for the week. Um, been there before. Wanted to go back. Uh, it's been a little longer there. Uh, my family is Dutch. In case anybody didn't know where Dijkstra comes from. Uh, but I got to go to the exact town where my great-grandma and great-grandpa both emigrated from uh, around 19, 1913. So, yeah, that was uh, that was really neat. It's a small town. It's called Dockham. It's called Dockham in Friesland, uh, which is not part of Holland technically. It's part of the Netherlands, the big country we know as the Netherlands. Holland is a different area. Uh, but it's part, part of Friesland. It's about 12,000 people. Not notable to probably anybody else, but walking around that was really neat and uh, something I'll now kind of treasure forever. I've never gotten an effective explanation as to why so many people call the Netherlands Holland. Like, I don't know where that confusion started. Well, it's because Holland is it, it's, its own region. Uh, it's right. like calling something like New England. Um, but Holland is where most of the country is. It's where Amsterdam is. It's where Rotterdam is. I think 80% of the population lives in Holland. And some Holland uh, Coast bias. Yeah, so it's just everybody... You know, the the most of the fans for the soccer team, most of the people who live there, they think of where they live. It's, oh, it's Holland. Well, it's actually the Netherlands. Um, and the Netherlands used to include Belgium, but there was, a, I learned this in a museum, there was a fight over religion. So Belgium became like the Catholic area of the Netherlands and all this kind of stuff. So it's just kind of funny how that all 
kind of morphed and uh, to walk around it. I highly recommend it if anybody ever gets the chance, especially if you're Dutch. And it is the uh, officially, at least in baseball conversation, it is the kingdom of the Netherlands. That's what they actually compete under. So now you can tell your friends how smart you are. Not only do you know the difference between Holland and the Netherlands, but now you also know they compete internationally in sports as the kingdom of the Netherlands. So there, you can take that to your latest bar trivia night or something. Um, so hey, <laughs> episode number 83 of the Show Before the Show podcast. Let's get things started here momentarily. We will dive into three strikes before we do that though you can find this podcast wherever you find all of your favorite podcasts we're on itunes we're on the stitcher app and we are at milb.com slash podcast if you do find us through one of those services go ahead and give us a rating and a review and a subscription and we would very much appreciate it we are uh Think still a perfect five stars on iTunes, which is very exciting. And also, you guys have low standards. Um, <laughs> no, just kidding. No. But one thing I we do want to point out: a good thing. we always say this every week. It was like, oh, please, you know, rate, review, and subscribe us. But really, like, if you subscribe, I saw one podcast I listened to. They they spun it this way, and I kind of like it. If you subscribe to us, our podcasts just appear automatically. Like, yeah, it it, it sounds like a oh, okay, that's what. But no, really, like it's it's very convenient. You're you'll just look at your phone and just be like, oh, hey, Sam and Tyler are now in my phone, isn't? Yeah, that? you never miss anything. Yeah, and also if you you know if you rate us, review, you know, give us a review, all that kind of stuff, it helps spread the word about the podcast. You get we'll we'll come up more when people just type in baseball, never mind minor league baseball. Um, so yeah, if you, if you like what you hear, please spread the word. You know, manually <laughs> tell your friends. That's that's always great. Tweet about us, whatever. Uh, but if you could rate and review us that helps spread the word as well so we're always you know welcoming to all new listeners we'd love to hear your input and uh yeah always feel free to reach out to us on twitter and you know just open up those lines of communication so with that let's get things started on three strikes for this week's edition of the show and we're gonna go on the old milby roundup trail we rolled out the 2016 best in minor league baseball yearly awards the milbys over the last couple of weeks best offensive player best starting pitcher best relief pitcher breakout prospect best system best performance promotion of the year photo of the year best game best play best home run best blooper best team all of them sam some of your favorites what uh what were you taking away from the 2016 milbys yeah so the the one i wrote um I guess it's the one I'm most knowledgeable in is the, is breakout prospect. I got to write up that one. Uh, our staff choice was Eloy Jimenez, uh, which just makes for a lot of fun. That that particular category is just a lot of fun to write about because you get to tell the story of somebody, uh, you know, how they became a breakout person, not just here's why they did really well, although the, there's always fun stories to tell in those ones as well. Uh, but for Eloy Jimenez, he was a guy, you know, just got – you know, multi-million dollar contract, not signing bonus from the Cubs a couple of years ago, um, coming out of Dominican Republic, really highly sought after. But his first couple of years, you know, in short season ball, uh, never really quite panned out, wasn't looking that great. But the Cubs always were high on him because they were like, listen, this guy's six foot four. Uh, we know he'll grow into some potential here. He's not striking out as much as you would expect. Especially in today's you know day and age, when it seems like anybody big, if they're going to have any sort of power, they're going to strike out at least twenty five percent of the time. Uh, he didn't have those quite strikeout numbers, so he was making good contact, just not you know consistently as they would have hoped. But they always knew you know he could grow into something, and this was the year he finally did it. You know he's nineteen years old, uh, was the Midwest League MVP, was the Midwest League All Star Game MVP. Uh, was a futures game participant, could have been the MVP of that game uh, after he hit a home run, made a really nice play in right field. Uh, you know, he's played mostly left. He can play a little bit of a right. They they know, um, you know, they think that 
he can be either corner outfield position guy who hit 329 at the plate this year, 14 homers, 40 doubles, uh, uh, eight stolen bases. So he kind of grew into the whole package. Now, you know, what's the next step? I mean, sometimes with these breakout prospect guys, we talk about, okay, the next step is the majors. Jimenez isn't there yet. You know, he's only played at South Bend for most of this year, got a late call up to Myrtle Beach in time for the playoffs, is getting tested at the AFL right now, doing pretty well. Um, But this is his breakout year. Now, how can he kind of build on it? He's definitely a top 50 prospect, if not top 25 overall prospect. Uh, and the Cubs, you know, think he will continue to do it. You know, this is just the foundation they think uh, he'll go on and build on top of that. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to write about. But the interesting thing about these Milbys, too, is not only do we get a vote, and, you know, we write up our side, but we also have the fan vote, obviously. And the fans overwhelmingly for that category chose Matt, uh, Mitch Keller in the Pirate system, a guy who actually, you know, appeared on this very podcast. Uh, if you are a Pirates fan, go back and listen to that. It, it was a really good interview with Mitch talking about how he was coming off most of, missing most of 2015 with a forearm strain and a couple injuries to this year, having a 2.35 ERA, 138 strikeouts, and only 19 walks. Um, so, you know, another guy, Highly sought after, well, not highly sought after, but a second-round pick, pretty well established. Uh, saw himself trail off and then just was completely healthy this year. We got to see what he was able to do. Uh, so that breakout prospect category, not just because I write about it, but it is a very interesting one just to see where guys started and who we think more highly of at the end of the year. Uh, Tyler, I know you had pitcher of the year, which I don't think we talked about, starting pitcher of the year. Uh, which I, I thought was a fun winner on the on the staff side at the very least. Yeah, yeah, Brock Stewart of the Los Angeles Dodgers organization. I got a chance to catch up with Brock um, and talk about his crazy 2016 season in which he climbed in the California League to start the year through the Texas League, through the Pacific Coast League, made it all the way to Dodger Stadium. And obviously there was a lot of um, tumult all year long with the Dodgers and injuries and that type of stuff. But Brock Stewart, it was really cool to get a chance to talk to Brock. This season, I asked him, I mean, my first question to him was, how do you explain this? And he said, quote, every reporter or beat writer has asked me the same question and I try to explain it, but I really can't. All I know is it just happened, you know? And that's really sort of the crux of this, I think, for Brock Stewart. But for him, the the thing that stands out about 2016 is really just how close these guys are. Even if you're starting at the Class A advanced level, you are a couple of promotions and maybe some, some injuries, some inconsistencies, whatever it is, from being on that major league mound to being able to make an impact. And, you know, in Brock Stewart's case, he wins two huge starts down the stretch for Los Angeles. The Dodgers go on to win the National League West title. And that puts him then in the conversation for a rotation spot, maybe a long relief spot, a swingman spot, something like that in the Dodgers bullpen in 2017 if he's not in the rotation. So just that growth in one year comes out of nowhere for a guy like Brock Stewart and in his combined work in 2016 the numbers are really really impressive across three minor league levels and the major league level but in 2016 in total at the minor league level 21 starts a 9 and 4 record a 1.79 ERA he struck out 129 and walked 19 in 121 innings pitched opponents only batted 200 against him then he goes off to the major league struggle in his first couple of outings but in a seven total appearances posts a 5.79 ERA and I think after his first two outings the ERA was somewhere around two um, so just really impressive stuff from Brock Stewart and a big congratulations to him on the fan side vote uh, in that category was PJ Conlin of the New York 
Mets organization, who's another guy who really sort of didn't necessarily come out of nowhere, but I think came out a lot quicker than people really would have expected him to. Uh, he was a 13th round pick in 2015, number 26 prospect in the Mets organization. Had a really good 2015 season, and then I think people didn't really know if that was something that was going to carry over into 2016, and then he was just outstanding. Won 12 of 14 decisions for Class A Columbia and Class A Advanced St. Lucie, a 1.65 ERA in 24 appearances. 23 of those were starts. Really good season for him and keeps it going from that strong debut season, which is really cool. Uh, and then I also got a chance to write about the game of the year, which you can check out at MILB.com as well, which was kind of one of those crazy California League games. Lancaster scoring 29 runs uh, on a really wild offensive day, and I talked to Jason Schwartz, the radio guy from the Lancaster Jethawks, about that uh, bizarre night in Lancaster, and so you can check that story out as well. Those are those are always some good ones to write. The, the weird, memorable, single moments of a season are always fun ones to write, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so let's just kind of run through some of the other winners here just so – we're we're completists here, right? Um, top offensive player, the staff winner was Dylan Cousins. Shouldn't be really that big of a surprise. Um, no clear real favorite here, I, but Cousins was just a guy who showed power and speed at Reading. Uh, the fan vote was Hunter Renfro at AAA El Paso, PCL MVP. Uh, starting pitcher we went over, relief pitcher. Uh, Kyle McGrath wins the, the fan vote for that one. And Jonathan Holder in the Yankees system, a guy who worked his way up from Trenton all the way up to New York, uh, wins for that. Best farm system, Phillies was our pick. Uh, you know, a, a team that not only added number one overall pick, Mickey Moniak, but had a really good Reading squad, uh, had tons of prospects at Lehigh Valley as well. Uh, they win for best farm system. Yankees won the fan vote on that one. Uh, best team, speaking of the Yankees, Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, Rail Riders. Uh, not only won the AAA National Championship, they won both the fan vote and the staff vote. Uh, and you can check out all the winners. You go to MILB.com slash Milby uh, and check out all our feature stories on the winners over the, the past couple weeks in case you missed them. Uh, in case you get all your news from this podcast, we thank you for that. Uh, but please don't forget that we have a website that has all this information yeah. ready and available for you 24-7. You should probably broaden your worldview if if you're just getting all your news from this podcast. I mean, I, I enjoy what we do, but, you know. Could yeah. mix in, could mix in some other stuff. Yeah, for sure. Wouldn't be opposed to it. Um, let's let's continue. Strike two this week, Sam. Um, as we are heading into the final stages of the Arizona Fall League, the Fall Stars game in the AFL is behind us now, honoring the the best performers of the 2016 Fall League season. And just kind of some of your thoughts as we get toward these last couple of weeks of Fall League action of where we are right now in the AFL. Yeah, so actually one thing I want to point out, because uh, it just happened over the weekend, was this Fall Stars game that just looked like it was a lot of fun uh, in like a actually really fun All-Star game way. Um, you know, there's a lot of guys coming in, a lot of people rotating in, whatever. Uh, but it just sounded like I got to co- catch up with some of the highlights. Uh, seeing Brent Honeywell you know, strike out five over two perfect innings and then giving the ball to Michael Kopech, who strikes out three over two innings and is flashing his heat seems really fun uh the guy i kind of want to touch on is the mvp from that game just because he's such a fascinating prospect for me is willie calhoun uh went three for three with a homer three rbis two runs scored as a starting second baseman for the west squad in that game which won 12 to 4 uh that west squad also featured honeywell and Kopech, so that that just seems like a loaded team but calhoun is a guy who's you know he's five foot eight 
He's listed at 187. This guy's a second baseman, you know, fourth round pick out of the Dodgers in 2015 at a Yavapai College. So this is really his second season here. Hit 27 home runs this year at a 788 uh, OPS at AA Tulsa. Only struck out 65 times in 503 at-bats. So this guy not only has power, he's making lots of contact, which you don't really see that play out that much. Now, mind you, his year last year in 2015, you know, when he was just getting his feet wet, was better. He was hitting 316 at a 909 OPS. We saw that drop off last year. But if he's, you know, doing what he's doing right now in the AFL, uh, you know, which is pretty pretty well, you obviously got acknowledged – uh, by sending himself to the Paul Stars game, did really well there. Uh, you know, the Dodgers are in that mix for a top five, maybe even top ten system. You know, even after some of the graduations they had this year with Corey Seager and Julio Urias. Uh, you know, Calhoun's just another really intriguing prospect in that system, right next to Cody Bellinger and Jose De Leon and Alex Verdugo and Yadier Alvarez. Uh, I'm going to be really interested to see what happens next year when he goes to AAA Oklahoma City, in all likelihood, obviously. Um, you know, how is his power going to play there? How is he going to do making contact? Are they going to try to get him to make maybe a little less contact and be a little more violent with the swing? Uh, you know, he only hit 254 this year. So if he's making lots of contact, but it's a low average like that. It tells you it's a little bit of a low bit, but also... You know, maybe he's making weaker contact uh, when he's not crushing the ball. So th- there's just so many questions, that, but it's a lot of fun to see him put together a game like that. You know, with his size as a second baseman. Um, so I'm gonna l- look to see how he kind of finishes out the year in the AFL and uh, look to see how that's going forward. Um, but that was just based on one performance over the weekend. Uh, Tyler, what about you? That's kind of stuck out. You know, through the first couple weeks and with only a couple weeks left in this fall league season. Yeah, which is kind of crazy. Only a couple weeks left in the in the fall league season. Um, you know, the uh, the Diamondbacks contingent in Salt River has really impressed me so far. And that is a group that, um, you know, with the way that the, the Diamondbacks have had such a tumultuous last couple of years, things all of a sudden seem to be really turning around in that organization uh, with the hires that they made at the front office side, uh, on the, the field staff side. But these prospects are guys that I think the D-backs really want to hit on. Dawa Lugo has looked really good. 15 games he has played so far. 303 average, a 703 OPS. Got started a little bit slowly. He's really come around. Uh, but the guy, you know, who we continue to touch on, Jared Miller, eight appearances in relief, 14 innings, four hits, 25 strikeouts, and two walks. He's been ridiculous. Um, that is one of the more fascinating storylines of the offseason to me is the reshaping of that organization because the D-backs for the last few years have been a dumpster fire and the way that they have operated as an organization. But now, you know, I mean, you see there there is no more uh, <laughs> the 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 culture of, well, let's just go out and we'll trade Tuki Toussaint. We'll trade Dansby Swanson. We'll go out and we'll make these bold, brash moves. We'll have uniforms that look insane on the field. It seems now that they've got a more buttoned-up, business-like attitude about baseball, and I don't think these two things are connected, but the guys who are right now still playing baseball from that organization are playing in a manner befitting how the offseason has been for that organization. So I'm I'm really impressed with that contingent. Um that Salt River Club actually has a lot of really, really fun prospects on it. Jacoby Jones, uh, who made his Major League debut this year in the Detroit Tigers system, 
he's had a really really good year uh the the pitching staff has some really interesting arms on it as well um you know one of the guys like i said who kind of stands out alongside somebody like jared miller taylor scott who has thrown in seven relief appearances and is a guy who comes a little bit under the radar but taylor scott is a brewers prospect and so far through his time a 0.79 era um so there are a lot of storylines and really if you comb through every afl roster you can find those but those have definitely stood out to me yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you pointed out two relievers um, just because, you know, we in this postseason, and we'll touch on that in, in a second, this major league postseason, we've seen how much exactly. value teams are going to be putting on uh, relievers going forward. You know, the game has changed in, as far as that goes, and we're going to see that this offseason when, you know, guys like Araldis Chapman and Kenley Jansen are just going to get massive, massive contracts as free agent elite relievers. Um, so... You know, what does that mean for the development level? Are we going to see some of these hard-throwing guys or you know, the, some of these guys with craftier stuff become relievers earlier? Um, are they going to be throwing two, three innings even when they're in you know, Class A advanced? Is that going to be the kind of development track going forward? You know, this postseason didn't bring up just questions about how the major league game has changed. It all, it all has a trickle-down effect. Um, so... You know, we're starting to see it a little bit in the fall league of some of these guys just being absolutely dominant. And uh, we'll have to see how how that carries. You know, that'll be a storyline going into the spring for sure. Strike three this week, Sam. Since the last time that we spoke, the Chicago Cubs have won a World Series for the first time in 108 years. Not sure if you heard about it. It was a pretty good game. It was a game seven against the Cleveland Indians. You can go back in news here. on Yeah, I'm sure you can go back and find an archive version of it on MLB TV. Um, But yeah, big, big news. The Chicago Cubs have won a World Series for years. We talked about the the rising tide in that system and the just glut of talent that was on the way to the major league level. The Cubs still have a lot of talent in that system, but Obviously, things look drastically different now because they seem to be settled just about everywhere. But as of now, if you look in that organization, in that system, do you see anybody who could realistically crack into what has become the most impressive young foundation in baseball and be a part of that now going forward from 2016? Yeah, so I'll have everybody just kind of recall, I think it was two weeks ago. Yeah, it was definitely two weeks ago. We we talked about, I think it was the third strike too. Um, which farm system would you rather have, the Indians or the Cubs? You know, just in terms of a pure vacuum. Uh, and I think we both agree that you'd rather have the Indians system, which is was more a compliment to the Cubs because they've kind of graduated so many guys, specifically these last two years, that you know the the real real top guys are in the majors now. Uh, and in that way, this kind of informs this question of you look at the way the foundation of the Cubs is set, and it seems like everybody's going to kind of be there for a while. Uh, you know, they've got a, a good catcher in Wilson Contreras. They've got a good in, young infield that's going to be there for a while. Um, you know, Dexter Fowler's now a free agent, so who's going to step up in center field? Uh, Albert O'Moore is no longer a prospect, so we can't really consider him for this question. Jason Hayward, we know, is a long-term contract. Uh, ben Zobrist. Is he going to be left? Is he going to be second? What about Javi Baez? That whatever. But it seems like so much of their roster is kind of set in the majors right now. Who is going to kind of crack through? And it, if you followed my reasoning there, you might notice I didn't really go into pitching. Obviously, they have some really good pitchers between Arietta and Lester and Hendricks and uh, Lackey and all that kind of thing. But if I was to pick somebody who's probably going to be Chicago Cub, you know, for the good long while it might be dylan cease uh the pitcher yeah 
they took it's a good you know, pick. The sixth round 2014. He's now a top 100 prospect. Guy just has an absolutely electric fastball, can hit uh, triple digits, no problem. Is that a, his fair share of uh, uh, injury woes the last couple of years went through Tommy John, obviously. Um, but with that kind of just electric fastball, that's going to get you a ticket high up the chain no matter what. Now, is his future in the bullpen, is his future as a starter? We don't really know. He's still only 20. He's going to be turning 21 December 28th. Uh, but this year at Class A short season, Eugene, 2.22 ERA, 66 strikeouts in 44 and two-thirds innings. A little bit of a control problem, averaging you know a little more than four and a half walks per nine innings. But, uh, yeah, if he, if he just continues his development, you know, adds a little bit more, he's got a pretty good curveball, adds a changeup, he could be a really, really good starter that they would make room for. Um, and if I was to pick somebody, you know, I really like Ian Happ, um, but where is he going to fit in that infield or outfield if they try to give him a spot out there? Eloy Jimenez I really like, um, but, you know, with so much outfield talent that they have right now, are they going to carve out a spot for him? If I had to pick somebody, it would probably be Cease. Uh, but don't sleep on those other guys either. So that'll wrap up this week's edition of Three Strikes for the 83rd episode of the show before the show podcast. Coming up, our guest for this week's episode is the fourth-ranked prospect in the entirety of the Atlanta Braves organization. 2015 first-rounder, 14th overall selection. Colby Allard will join us fresh off a season with the short-season short Danville Braves and the Class A full-season Rome Braves. Colby Allard coming up on this week's edition of the show before the show podcast next. Excited to be joined this week as we uh, roll into the middle stages of November by the 2015 first-round draft selection of the Atlanta Braves. Left-hander Colby Allard joins the show. Colby, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. How are you? Good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Thanks for joining us. So take us through the the 2015 season. Uh, first full season in pro ball. Get a little bit of a late start. The Braves protecting the uh, the back injury, but go out, do well in the GCL, make that jump to Rome. Um, looking back on it now, a couple of months removed, how do you evaluate this year? Yeah, I mean, obviously they took it a little bit slow from the uh, off-season back procedure, which was uh, during the time it was a little bit frustrating. But obviously they had my best interest in mind, and obviously the longevity of my career in mind. So looking back at it, it was probably it was probably for the best. And obviously the year went year went pretty well. We we obviously won the South Atlantic League Championship, and that was a lot of fun to go through that with all the guys. And personally, I felt like I had a pretty good year obviously there's a lot of things to um improve on but overall i thought it was a pretty good um first full year of professional baseball yeah and just kind of take us back to those months in april and may uh you obviously didn't make your season debut until june 6th i remember talking to you in spring and you you seemed to be itching to get out there even then that was march and you know you were not starting for three months after that um what was it like starting the year and extended and how much were you trying to push for them to to give you a bump at some point yeah, I mean, obviously, I was still um, rehabbing, getting back, getting back from that, and they were a little excessively like slow with it. But like I said, obviously, it was probably for the best. They obviously they have my best uh, best interest in mind when it comes to that kind of thing. And obviously, it's a little bit frustrating, but it was I was just tried to be patient. And eventually, when they gave me my shot, I I was very excited and happy, and it obviously turned out to be a pretty pretty fun year. Yeah, and take me through those first couple starts with Rome. Um, you know, you get three with Rome in June. They send you 
back down to Danville. You gave up 11 runs in those first two starts. Uh, what kind of went into those obviously very early struggles? Looked like you may have figured out in that third game. Uh, but what what went into the struggles and what went into the improvements that you found, you know, while you you were at uh, Danville in the middle of the season? Uh, I mean, yeah, my first couple starts there. Obviously, my first couple starts for quite a few months of being out on the mound, like back in a, a competitive atmosphere. So, I mean, obviously I was shaking off a little bit of rust, but there's no, no excuses there. Obviously I could have, should have pitched better and I did, but it was a little bit of almost trying to prove myself. I obviously didn't throw a ton in the GCL the year before. So not too many guys had seen you pitch. And I was just going out there trying to do honestly a little too much, trying to maybe overthrow a little bit. And, you know, that kind of came into, came into play. But then when I went back to Danville, I kind of, just settled down a little bit. I had some talks with some people, and they were just basically telling me to just be who you are. You got, you are who you are, and pitch to your strengths, basically. And that's that's basically what I did, and that's what helped me kind of turn around and have a turn 2015 into a successful year for myself, and obviously help my team, um, help my team win. When you look back at this season um, as compared with your debut season, there's so many differences between jumping into an organization right out of the draft. I mean, when you get to go through a full year in a system, um, what is it? What is the the comfort level like? You know, kind of knowing uh, the the facility, knowing training staff, knowing what your routine is going to be. Um, you know, whether it's at the the team facility during spring, getting into the summer, um, or or with the you know a club once you're assigned to a minor league affiliate. I mean, how much more comfortable are you now versus maybe at this time in 2015 yeah way more comfortable it's a, it's a very big it's a very big jump because i mean i personally think pitching is very routine oriented and when you get into that every every five day thing you get your what you're doing exactly between every start how many how, when your bullpens are when your lifts are all that stuff and whenever you can kind of when you start to get to know the training staff and they get to know you a little bit better your your um, training and your in between starts to be a little more personalized and when that starts happening, I think it, I mean, basically does nothing but help you in in going out there every five days and throwing the best that you can. So I'd say that's very important, in, and it's a very big um jump to know basically what, to the familiarity, I guess you could say, is very important, I think. Let's talk a little bit about the injury. It was a stress reaction in your back. Um, you missed most of your senior season um, in high school, and then coming into the Braves organization, like you said, the the procedure, a slow start to this year, just to make sure that you were healthy. What take us through kind of the the steps of that injury, the surgery, the recovery, and all that kind of stuff, and how that has affected you. And and if now, if you have to do anything different, if there's anything about you as a pitcher that's different, you know, from before the the injury to where you are now. Well, yeah, I missed my um, some of my senior year because of it, and then I rested a little bit. We had I felt great going into the defense. I was throwing, throwing and stuff, throwing a little couple pens here and there, and I felt really good. And then when I got back out, it didn't it didn't feel a couple weeks after it didn't feel like completely right. I'd say it wasn't like it was terrible, but it just didn't feel right. And then so we kind of sat down with the doctors and some of the Braves guys, and basically said we can rest and rehab it, or we can kind of just do the procedure and basically put in our put it in the back in the rear view mirror forever so we decided to go that route and then all, looking back at it i'm very kind of happy we did because it's basically in the rear view mirror at this point and it hasn't given me any trouble and i doubt it's ever going to give me any trouble any trouble again so and no i'm not any different than i was before like like i said i'm actually very happy we did it and like now it's basically just all the all the stuff 
I used to do. I mean, keep my keep my core strong, get, keep my legs strong, and basically get after it as best as I can. And you know, speaking of your uh, your time on the mound this season, I don't know if we we mentioned your whole stats from the year. You had a two point nine ERA, uh, ninety five strikeouts in eighty seven two thirds innings. Obviously, a very good foundation for a first full season. Uh, how would you kind of describe yourself as a pitcher now, as opposed to the beginning of the year when you were an extended? How have you kind of changed? You know, once you were on that mound, going up against you know full season bats or you know rookie level bats, full season bats. I mean, yeah, you kind of learn um, learn a lot more of, about yourself as a pitcher when you're starting against older guys and just guys in full season balls that rather than high school or all that kind of stuff or short season stuff. And basically. The biggest thing is, I mean, you kind of learn what you do as a pitcher, your strengths, and basically hone them in and try to perfect them. And when you go out there every day, at least for me, I just go out there every single day trying to pitch to my strengths and know who I am as a pitcher. And basically I think if you can do that and you can set, set batters up almost with what your strengths are, that can that can help you work deep into ball games and help you ultimately have a lot of success. So let me ask you this then, how would you kind of describe your strengths? I mean, I think one of my biggest strengths is just the command of my fastball. If I can set up early in the game, uh, dot my fastball to both, both uh, corners of the plate, I think that kind of sets up everything. If you, if you want my opinion. So I, I go out there every game trying to just set my fastball up on both, both corners of the plate. And when you can do that, when you can, when you have a low, uh, well-located fastball and then you can mix in your off-speed stuff, I mean, it's pretty it's pretty difficult to, to hit. Colby, you mentioned you guys the run through the postseason in the South Atlantic League this year, and it seems like everybody got on a roll right around the same time, especially pitching-wise for you guys as a, a staff. Um, what was that like being a part of that and being known, you know, knowing that the next guy who got the ball handed to him was probably going to do something to either equal or one-up the guy from the night before? I mean, that's got to be a really, really fun atmosphere to be a part of, especially on the way to winning a, a ring. Yeah, I mean, it was honestly some of the most fun I've had ever on baseball field. Like, we had – Every every day going out, we just had a we just had like a dude going out there, and it's honestly it's honestly good for all parties. Like that, you, we put we pushed ourselves, me, Tuki, Max, Michael, Ricardo. Like we all we all just push ourselves to do to do better and better every start. And it's when the year went on, and we just started to get in that rhythm. It was like every single day, you know, you know, Soroka's gonna go out there and shove like just next man up kind of thing. And when when it started rolling, it just it, it was fun to watch. It was very special to watch. Like and pitch on that pitching staff along those, those group of dudes, like it was almost felt like the other hitters were not having a very good time, no matter who was on the mound. So it was very, it was very fun to be a part of. And hopefully we can have that staff, keep that staff together for a pretty long time. And uh, yeah, with that staff, can you think of something that you, you picked up from one of the other guys between Max, Mike, uh, Tukey, you know, some particular pitch, some particular uh, grip, something like that. Is there anything you guys picked up from each other uh, this year that made you better as a staff or individual pitchers? I mean, I wouldn't say anything in, in particular, but it's almost just like when you're around that, those kind of group of guys every single day, you pick up on little things, you learn little things, maybe the way to attack a hitter or maybe a little a little tweak to your changeup, just little stuff like that. When you're When you're around that group of guys and everyone's pushing to get better and pushing to win games, and when you're down that, when you're running down that stretch, it's almost just like, it's just a great atmosphere to be in. Like it's honestly hard to hard to explain like how fun it was to be to pitch along alongside with all those guys and have all the success we did. Because I mean it was just like it was almost like the next man up kind of thing. Like every every game you had to go out there and 
just keep up with your guys and like you were trying to have such have such like a fun time with those guys like on a pitching staff like it was just a lot of fun yeah for sure it was it was fun following you guys through that run that that was for sure uh if all goes to, if all goes according to plan uh it, you guys are probably going to get bumped up to high a next year and so we got to get your comments on this the, the new high a team for the atlanta braves is called the Florida Fire Frogs. Uh, so we'd be kind of remiss if we didn't get your thoughts on potentially playing for a new team uh, in a new place like that with a team name like the Fire Frogs. What are, what are your kind of thoughts on that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, obviously that's not in my hands. That's in the, uh, the hands of the Frogs, who goes where and whatever. But, yeah, I would love the opportunity to start the year with the Fire Frogs with all those guys. And, I mean, obviously it's a new place, new stadium and all that, but it would be fun to open up and hopefully we can repeat what we did this year with the – with the fire frogs he is colby allard the fourth ranked prospect in the atlanta braves organization you can find colby on twitter he is at colby allard k-o-l-b-y is the first name for colby and uh, colby congratulations on a great season and best of luck getting into 2017 staying healthy having a fun off season and i'm sure we'll be talking to you again thank you i appreciate it thank you for having me on Well, a week away from the uh, the old podcast doesn't bring just uh, all on-field baseball news, but a bunch of off-field baseball news as well as we welcome in Benjamin Hill for this week's edition of our uh, discussion of the business of minor league baseball. There's like, you know, half a dozen teams out there with new names, new identities. Ben, how are you? Hey, I'm doing all right. Everything's okay. Yeah, let's... Uh... Let's tell ourselves that um, the there are a bunch of new names, you know, kind of the wackies, but also a couple of names that, uh, you know, we talk so much about the Lynchburg Hillcats, no new name there, but they unveil a new logo, a new color scheme. They'll be um, sticking with the name Lynchburg Hillcats and Lynchburg City Stadium. I know undergoing some renovations and stuff, so kind of a new chapter there, but also Jumbo Shrimp, Rumble Ponies, Fire Frogs and Wood Ducks, which Wood Ducks is actually a relatively tame sort of name, but run us through. Uh, uh, these ones with more to come. Yeah, well, where to begin? Uh, all the teams you just mentioned, even including the Hillcats, who have released a new logo, uh, are all Brandios entities or clients, or Brandios is a client of these teams, rather. Um, and, you know, that's just a, a two-man operation at its core, uh, Jason Klein and uh, Casey White. So their aesthetic uh, continues to permeate the minor league landscape. And um, this week is um, a week off from uh the rebranding madness and uh that's okay we're dealing with other forms of madness and um but the last two weeks prior to that it was it seemed like there was one a day there for a little bit and uh you know we started off with the florida fire frogs and uh i do like that one for the alliteration um you know they are getting some pushback and perhaps rightfully so for being a team in the florida state league that is using the name florida uh, because every single team in that league is Florida, but the alliteration is great. Uh, they're in a big market, being out of Orlando, uh, playing in Kissimmee. Um, Kissimmee. I think it's Kissimmee. I think you said it right. I always say it the first. Way, yeah, I feel like we have this. We have this debate constantly. We need somebody to email us from that area and let us know. Because right. yeah, I don't. I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I uh, said it differently <laughs> than I did last time. Um, so you got it covered one way or the other. And then still doubted it exactly. Kissimmee. I could use a kiss. So. Um, yeah, that team used to be the Brevard County Manatees. They're now playing at uh, Osceola County Stadium, the former Houston Astros spring training ballpark. That market hasn't seen Florida State League baseball for over two decades. Uh, so the Fire Frogs it is. And uh, Fire Frogs was a name the team created based on the submission of two different fans, one who said the Fire Flies 
and I can't do that because there's a new team in Colombia uh, that started last year, the Colombia Fireflies. And another team, another uh, fan suggested the Cokies, uh, C-O-Q-U-I, a um, a frog of um, Puerto Rican origin. And uh, there are actually a, a large amount of Puerto Rican fans in that market, so they kind of wanted to make a nod to the Cokies, but I guess didn't want to name the team the Cokies. So we have the Fire Frogs, and uh, there we go. It, it rolls right off the tongue. Florida, Fire Frogs. Uh, then we saw the the Hillcats new logo, uh, big and bold, uh, bright, a little fluorescent. They got the uh, kind of greens and blues of a, of a lighter hue, and uh, kind of reminds me of, I think we've talked about this before, but, you know, the NBA or NHL expansion team of the 90s. It's yeah. uh, big and bold, uh, but there's no doubt that the Hillcats, especially once they decided not to change their name, did need some infusion of uh, something new. So they, they took the moderate route and at least did the new logos. And then last week we had uh, really the, the biggest of all of them, and uh, it was a deviation from uh, what we've seen in the, in the typical uh, rebranding name the team context. Usually teams tell fans months in advance we're going to uh, be renaming our team and then they collect submissions and then they release the finalists and then there's a vote of some kind and then there's the announcement and then there's the outrage and then there's the acceptance and we see this cycle uh, again and again but uh, last week the Jacksonville Suns who the Suns name goes back to 1962 bam they just uh, woke up one day and essentially I mean they knew it was coming um, but uh, no one else really did they changed their name to the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp, and that one got a huge reaction in the context of minor league baseball rebrandings. Uh, again, that's a brandiose effort, and uh, the the owner of the Jacksonville Suns, uh, Ken Babby, you know, he was the one who took over the Akron Arrows and uh, made them the Akron Rubber Ducks. So he has experience with this. Uh, he, I talked to him the day of the announcement. You know, he was uh, fully prepared to weather the storm that he knew was going to come. And and for these teams, it does, you know, all publicity is good publicity in a sense, and there's a lot of confidence that you might hate it originally or initially, but once you see the logo and see what the team is doing and especially come to the games and see how it incorpor- is incorporating the whole atmosphere, then you know you might come to like it. You might not, but you know teams. I keep saying this, but teams wouldn't do these things if they didn't keep working. Um, and then it was almost an a- as an afterthought in the context of the huge Jumbo Shrimp Day but later that day, we found out that the new team in Kinston, that's one of the new additions to the Carolina League this year. Um, as you recall, two teams in the California League shut down. There's two new ones uh, correspondingly in the Carolina League. One of those teams is playing in Kinston, but not only they, are they uh, going by the moniker Down East to represent uh, an area that Kinston's really not a part of, but it's close enough to, and they're trying to draw in fans from this region. Uh, they're going for, with Down East as their geographical signifier and changing their name to the Wood Ducks. So we got the Down East Wood Ducks, and they don't have a logo yet, but at least the team has a name. And when I talked to Wade Howell, the GM, he said, you know, the the logo will be forthcoming. I believe it's scheduled for November 30th. But, you know, they're trying to sell season tickets. They're trying to uh, uh, recruit sponsors, and they felt that they could do that uh, in in a better fashion by getting the name out there and at least having a name associated with the product as opposed to, you know, the Kinston Professional Baseball Group or whatever they've been calling themselves. Um, And then, finally, we had the Binghamton rumble ponies i feel like i'm giving a speech here um (laughs) but uh and that was another big one uh the binghamton met since 1992 went under new ownership um when new ownership took over they said 
We're staying in Binghamton, which was no guarantee because Binghamton has been last in the Eastern League in attendance for years. And um, I think as part of their you know, commitment to that, they wanted to brand themselves as something completely unique and say to the community, again, who knows if you'll like this name, but uh, we are here and we're committed to Binghamton. The Rumble Ponies was one of four names in the Name the Team contest that referenced Binghamton's uh, status as Carousel Capital of the World. And I guess, you know, like every minor league town, Binghamton has a fighting spirit. Has there ever been a minor league town that <laughs> didn't have a fighting spirit? Um, We're more passive. Than yeah, that. passive. We have a laid-back spirit. That's what our logo represents. You never hear that from anyone ever. Um, but Binghamton's fighting spirit, the carousel cannot contain these ponies. They just rumble right off and go do their own thing, creating havoc throughout the greater uh, Tri-City area. All right, so we'll, we'll give you a little <laughs> bit of a break Thank after you. that long uh, That was impressive, though. Else. That was quite yeah. impressive. When we, uh, when you know, we take a week off, I guess that's what happens. It's so much, we get caught up on so much uh, from Ben. But I wanted to just go back to this Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp thing. With all these other teams, like you mentioned, you know, they're talking about for weeks, months in some cases, that, hey, we're going to change the name. Hey, we're going to have a contest for it. Hey, please take submissions and then, uh, you know, vote and all this kind of stuff. And they just came out of nowhere what is the thought process behind that is it just for excitement is it um you know just to hit everybody upside the head what why would they do it that way well i think it would get it's to concentrate the publicity as opposed mm-hmm. to a weeks or months of kind of low-key publicity of okay we're changing okay we're taking submissions okay we're doing x y and z uh to kind of get a concentrated blast and i i think um going for that concentrated publicity is also happening in concert with uh confidence because Ken Babby has done this before. There are people on the Jacksonville Suns staff who have been through this process before, and I think they knew that they were going to take the initial uproar, the storm, um, the, the number of fans you know, calling it a disgrace and saying they never attend games again, and I think they were prepared to just take that on all at once and, uh, and, and deal with a more emotional reaction by just foisting it upon people. And, and, and rightfully so. The, the criticism I saw the most you know, on social media that day was – you know, too bad the community wasn't asked for its input. And uh, that's, I think, a legitimate uh, criticism to have. And uh, I don't want to discount a, a fan's reaction to that. And if I was a fan in Jacksonville and the Jacksonville Suns is what I knew and what I grew up with and, uh, you know, the games I went with my family to when I was a kid and then I took my own family to, that's a lot to take in that this comparatively traditional conservative name is now the Jumbo Shrimp, which does feel a little embarrassing if you don't know the context, and maybe even if you do know the context. But again, we see again and again um, the logo really fitting with a greater uh, attitude that the team is bringing to the ballpark. And when you look at Jacksonville as, especially for Double A, a gigantic, tremendous market, they're not drawing particularly well in recent years. Um, so you do have to take the criticism with a grain of salt, saying, you know, maybe it is broke, and that's why we are changing it. And Hey, you never know what's going to happen. Maybe the fans will boycott the Jumbo Shrimp and they'll change the name back to the Suns in disgrace. But you know what I guess is that they're going to uh, attract more fans this year than they have uh, for a long time and that this will overall be seen as a success. That's my bold prognostication. Well, one thing I wanted to get to, too, with with these names in particular, I mean, you know, there's three of them, four of them, I guess, including the Fire Frogs. It seems like we're going away from that whole trend of smashing names together. Is that just... A thing like is that just a passing phase that happened is this just it happened to be four teams that decided not to do this or do you think that's something it's a little pet project to me it always kind of perturbed me when teams like tried to smash names together put some capital letters in there um 
Yeah, yeah, but is there anything behind that now? I haven't talked to anyone specifically about that. We're still very much seeing the um, you know, noun or the uh, adjective noun combination, right. the uh, descriptor followed by animal of some kind combination. But you're right, there are there is not they're not doing the compound words so much anymore. Your you know Charleston River Dogs or what have you, where it's one word with a capital letter uh, kind of awkwardly in the middle. Uh, personally, I'm all for that. I know there's a lot of fans who are a little tired of the whole. Uh, this this whole motif of jumbo shrimp, rumble ponies, wood ducks, fire frogs, and going back the last couple of years, you know, uh, rubber ducks, blue wahoos, um, iron pigs, you know, it, it has definitely been the trend, whether it's a compound word, whether it's two words. I know some fans would just love to see a name like the Suns, um, one syllable, one word, keep it simple. But, um, you know, in, until, until uh, these rebrands don't work. I think we'll keep seeing uh, these patterns because uh, teams want to do what has a track record of success, and that's the track record we've seen over the last decade. Ben, let's move along. Uh, the promotion of the year was announced as we uh, rolled our way through Milby's over the last couple of weeks, and that distinction in 2016 goes to the Bowling Green Hot, Lo- Hot Rods and Bootlegger Night, which was uh, kind of an, an alternate history night. We've seen teams do what-if nights before, but the, the Bowling Green Bootleggers really took it to a, a different level. Uh, your reflections on the Milby for promo of the year this year? Yeah, it's funny. The Milby uh, promo of the year came out uh, this previous Tuesday, um, well, two Tuesdays ago from uh, this week, and uh, that was the same day in which the Jumbo Shrimp were announced and the Wood Ducks name was announced. So, uh, you know, people say, what do you do in the off season?" And, you know, sometimes the answer is go insane with stories landing left and right and, you know, not giving me time to do anything else. This is a year-round industry, and I think people uh, uh, can forget that. Uh, but the Bowling Green Bootleggers, it's interesting. We've been doing the Promo of the Year Awards since 2008. Uh, the Hot Rods were the first repeat winners, and when they won, which was in 2009, it was for what was literally the first what-if night in minor league baseball when they changed their name to the Cave Shrimp, which, if you recall, back then, Cave Shrimp was one of the finalists in Bowling Green's name, the team contest, and it was just like... That's crazy, zany. Of course they're not going to do it, and of course they didn't. Now if there was a name the team contest and K-Shrimp would be on it, I think we'd be like, eh, I think I think that might win. But it's interesting to think that eight years ago that was the ha-ha comic relief in the, in the midst of several other options that uh, – you know, were comparatively more uh, more conservative, but anyway, uh, Bowling Green set the trend with what if nights and uh, these one uh, one night uh, renaming fests, and they did it again this year, and it won the uh, promotion of the year. Bootleggers Night is a nod to the fact that um, you know the hills of Kentucky and uh, nearby Tennessee, uh, we were the bootlegging capital of America. Um, you know, the illicit production and uh, transportation of uh, of moonshine, and so let's celebrate illegal drug running for sure at a minor league <laughs> baseball game. Now I'm giving them a hard time. It was an awesome promotion uh some of the reasons i nominated in the first place they wore barrel themed jerseys uh you know like a bourbon barrel um they had a bluegrass band at the at the at the uh at the ball game, they had moonshine-based cocktails. Fans got a mason jar on the way in. And when I talked to Eric Leach, the GM, he said, this is not going to be a one-time thing for us. Uh, this bootlegger's identity is something we're going to keep returning to. Uh, it was a huge success, and uh, it was a huge success uh, the moment they announced it because it got a lot of attention. They announced it last February, wait, you know, months before the season. And one great thing they did is they immediately had merchandise ready to go, including a package that uh, wasn't for local fans, that was a bootlegger's hat and a mason jar. And uh, I think that's something other teams should think about doing when you're doing a a, um, a one-night renaming of this kind is announce it way in advance and uh, have the merch look good enough that even if you're a fan who's not 
you know, in Bowling Green or whatever the market may be and can't attend a game, you're still going to want to potentially say that's such an awesome hat, that's such an awesome aesthetic a design, um, I'm going to do that. So they were successful right off the gate, even before they had the promotion. And then the fact that they had one of the biggest crowds of the year, great atmosphere at the ballpark, and they're going to keep doing it again. And uh, who wouldn't want to drink um, about a gallon of moonshine right now? And, and I was going to ask, what, what made you think that this won? I mean, why why do you think this one over something like the Prince Tribute or the really popular Kiss Night? Um, is it just people really, really like booze? And you know, we're kind of in that era of uh, authentic stuff looks cool, like mason jars or you know, bootlegging barrels, that kind of stuff. Or what made this so popular nationally? You know, when you, you take things out to a popular vote, sometimes you're shocked by the results. And... Uh, <laughs> Full stop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I didn't know who was going to win, and uh, I, I honestly would not have picked the bootleggers because, um, I mean, uh, would have uh, guessed it would be the bootleggers because right. um, uh, it's not one of the, it was, a, I think, maybe the smallest market of the 10 nominees for promo of the year. And uh, El Paso, who did Kiss Night, got a couple retweets from, you know, Kiss, uh, the official Twitter page with over a million followers. So I, I really thought that it might go in that direction. So I don't really know why Bowling Green Hot Rods got so many votes when I asked uh, their GM that. You know, they, they, they did promote it a lot on social media. They have a great social media team there. Um, and as I said, it was a promotion that made an impact back in February. So it was one with a high awareness uh, well outside of Bowling Green proper. Um, I, I don't really know beyond that, but uh, the result we that's the result we got. Yeah. And, you know, congrats to Bowling Green. For sure. Unless it goes to the Electoral College and they actually won in the popular vote, but not. Anyway, uh, award season not entirely wrapped up. The Milbys are beyond us, et cetera, et cetera. But busy awards, Ben, give us a lowdown. Yeah, you know what? I'm going on vacation. I don't even know where I'm going. I'm going on vacation (laughs) tomorrow. Tomorrow. This is Wednesday I'm talking right now. But before I leave on this otherwise lighthearted and fun day, I am uh, putting together my third annual Busy Awards, that's B-I-Z-Z-Y, and uh, I like this because I just create the categories from scratch every year, I choose them arbitrarily, and uh, it's just like a goofy way to uh, come up with um, you know, ways to, to highlight things I saw on the road this season that were certainly the best in their category, even if they were the only thing in their category, and even if I made up the category only in which to highlight it. So I've got things like uh, Best Dressed League President, Best Mascot Triumvirate, Best uh, food euphemism for a concession item, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, putting that together, that'll be out on Thursday. A kind of good recap uh, to my season, which, by the way, I finished all my road trip blogs, uh, put a bow on that, and we've also just uh, migrated to a new blogging platform. So still kind of working out a few kinks on on that. So if you go to Ben's Biz blog and uh, it looks different, that's because it is different. And, uh, you know, uh, but I think in the long run, it'll hopefully be a better, more interactive platform. So give a little time to get my feet wet on that. But um, in the meantime, there are a ton of on-the-road posts there. I would love if everyone could get caught up, um, a fun, distracting read. Um, you know, Anytime you can get to it, tons of write-ups from many different places. And uh, for me, that means the season is finally mercifully over. Thank you very much for your uh, attention to my travels, to those who paid attention. And if not... Hey, we've all got our own things going on. So. <laughs> Never a bad time to start. Exactly. Thank you. By the way, the blog address is still the same, bensbiz.mlblogs.com. But, yeah, fresh new look and uh, and all kinds of good stuff up on there. And, Ben, enjoy vacation. Enjoy it, man. Thank you. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, maybe I'll come visit you. Uh, yeah, do it. Do it. I'll be there. We can hang out. We can uh, we can attempt to solve the world's problems. And also, uh, we'll we'll cast our, our own votes to see what New Orleans' name is going to be. Yeah, 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 we will. Let's and, do it. Um, 
that's going to happen when I'm on vacation. I'm sorry I can't be there in real time to break the news with everyone and have fun Twitter discussions. But November 15th, that's going to be a big one. We'll do our own Ben impersonations next week. How about that, Tyler? Please there do. Work on those. Tyler, you got yours down? Can yeah, you I think I could probably do it. I think go ahead. I, probably do it. I don't know if I can break it out right now. Like I feel like I need to perfect it. Sounds like uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Actually, I don't, I don't think it would be very easy. Like you're, you're just a regular dude. It's not, it's not like me where you've got some outlandish, stupid Seinfeld-esque high voice that you go into when you start ranting on things. Like I think you're just a normal guy. I think I would just talk relatively normally. I would just need to up my pun game. Yeah, that's that's key to the impression. That'd be for it. sure. That'd be it's it. uh you know sixty percent puns, forty percent self loathing, and uh, voila, <laughs> there you go. Ben's biz, the impression, good to go. Take All it right, on the ben. road. We'll talk to you when you get back. All right. And I actually don't. There's no self-loathing. I love myself, and I love uh, Ben's biz, and I love exploring America through minor league baseball, and I'm happy to be going on vacation, and I'll be happy to get back and talk to you guys again. And we love you, buddy. Yeah. I love you, too. Back from vacation and uh, wrapping up this week's edition of the Show Before the Show podcast. You can find this little minor league baseball podcast of ours on iTunes, on the Stitcher app, wherever you find podcasts. If you are tuned into us on the site, MILB.com slash podcast. We thank you for doing so there. And you can find us uh, a whole bunch of other places as well. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. Next week we are uh, we're nearing the end of the Arizona Fall League season. Um, and then it's and then it's into full on off season mode, which is nuts. Yeah, yeah, but we'll definitely have tons to talk about. There's winter meetings coming up, um, which I'm actually going to be at this year. Um, went ahead and booked my hotel and that whole thing now, so that's that's ex- going to be exciting. Uh, we'll have tons of stuff for you guys coming down from that, coming up from that, wherever you are right now. Uh, yes, yeah, so don't worry. We're, we'll got, get you through the end of the year, and then uh, we'll be talking pitchers and catchers in no time. Finally, finally, we'll be talking pitchers. Yeah, I mean, basically two months from uh, today, I think teams really start. Um, no, three months from today. Months, I'm good yeah, at math. Gonna, I'm good at yeah. math. I was going to say, uh, I saw somebody said 99 days, which that works. That, that sounds that, nice. Something without triple digits. Yeah, exactly. Nice and comfortable. It, like, it feels like spring will arrive once more. Um, so with that, a big thanks to our guest, Colby Allard of the Atlanta Braves this week. Uh, good to get a chance to talk to Colby. Colby, you can find on Twitter at Colby Allard, K-O-L-B-Y-A-L-L-A-R-D. Big thanks to Benjamin Hill as well, who is off next week. So we'll catch up with Ben in a couple of weeks. And a big thanks most of all to you for tuning in. I'm Tyler Ron. He's Sam Dykstra. We'll talk to you next week. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. 
Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.